Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. The Euro Graps Express. I'm your host, Neil David, and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events of the British and European wrestling scene. And I have to say, it feels quite strange uh, recording now. I don't know if you're going to notice a difference in this episode, but I like to record my podcasts in the middle of the night. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a, a nocturnal kind of person. I like to stay up till 2am on a Saturday and uh, talk to the wardrobe <laughs> with a microphone on my head. Uh, but I was out on Saturday night for the first time and there's this thing in Manchester now. And I don't know if it's a worldwide thing. They probably have it in that London. But it, it's getting really popular of like posh food courts. So the first one that I know of in Manchester was one called Mackie Mare, which is in the Northern Quarter. And you go to it, and it's it's sort of a big seated area in the middle. And all the way around it, there's different restaurant-level food, basically serving out of like a food court-style environment. So the idea is, is you can have your starter from one place, your main from another, your pudding from another. You can get your, maybe your drinks, some drinks from a wine bar, some drinks from a cocktail bar, your coffee made by a coffee, a proper coffee place, you know, not someone trying to wing it, actual uh, baristas. And, you know, if you, if you know, you fancy steak and your wife fancies fish and your mate fancies pizza or whatever, you you know, you've all, all catered for. And it's brilliant. And we went to one last night, it was like a work night out to one called Escape from Freight Island. And I've been before, um, it's in, but it's in Manchester, and it's just this huge, busy hall next to the warehouse project, and you've got a, an amazing pizza place, an amazing gyros place, uh, Mia Rapas, which was like tortillas, and they had jerk chicken stuff there, um, and there's a lovely wine bar that did, you know, weak wine by the glass, which is what I'm into, um, and it was lovely, so it, it feels very, very weird to me to move away from being the epitome of that sweaty, fat, smelly basement dwelling nerd recording a podcast on a Saturday night. I actually went out and I was around people and I was around noise. Um, 
Well, I'm glad to be doing it again. It feels like a long time since I've I've recorded. It's been about a month. Um, just a little bit of a tricky situation, really, with, with kind of life getting in the way a few times and just being busy and, and that sort of thing. I did have a, a couple of lovely messages from people just asking if I was okay, and I, I'm absolutely fine. It's just one of those times that life just gets a little bit too busy. Uh, things weren't really happening at sort of convenient times. And then you've just, sometimes you've just got to get going, haven't you, get talking. You know, you, I do that thing where I worry that I'm not going to have enough to talk about out, but then I remember that I'm an absolute gobshite who does an hour and a half every two weeks to himself. He speaks to his dog, so I really don't have anything to worry about. But I am a little bit gutted that I didn't notice until just now that Passion Pro have released Passion Pro 8 for free, and there's some absolutely brilliant looking matches on that show and I've, I've not heard anything about it by the way i think only um ian hamilton actually watches it but let's have a look at what they put the, the card because this sounded apologies if you can hear that i'm just finding it uh it sounds absolutely amazing uh for those who don't know passion pro are a hungarian company um hey they're kind of like the second company in hungary i think so hcw are your big one um they're i, I I don't know exactly. I should probably find this stuff out, shouldn't I? But I think there's a link between HCW and the Arrows of Hungary. I think that they've either linked to the training school or they own it or something. I don't know. And then Passion Pro is another one. Um, but this has got Tiani versus Roman on it. Uh, Eagle Blanc against Tamas Shabo, who was someone I was really impressed with last time I watched them. Listen to this match. Gulias Jr., BT, and Smoking Aces versus Ambos. The main event is Tristan Archer versus Metaham versus Senza Volto for a belt. I mean, this sounds like a great, great show. Corey McRae versus Irie. Um I'm into that. It's up on YouTube for free. It's two hours, 17 minutes. I'm actually... Do you know I'm tempted to hit pause? No, I'm not going to hit pause. What we're going to do next episode, we're going to do a repeat of my lowest ever ratinged episode, if that's a word. We're going to do a Hungarian deep dive. We're going to have a look at all the stuff that's happening in Hungary, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to do this show. We're going to watch whatever HCW have been up to. We're going to do a deep dive all the way across Hungary, because I tell you something, when I last did that, I'm not exaggerating, I was looking for flights over to Hungary. I was, I, I was ready to go, and I was ready to be part of it. All right, but anyway, that's in a couple of weeks' time. Let's talk about this uh, this episode. Few shows to review. We're obviously going to talk about that Red Pro live at uh, the um, live at London. I said then very much not live at London. It was York Hall. We're going to talk about that huge show that's had some really big ramifications. It felt like a big, big York Hall show this time round. This Epic Encounter twenty twenty three. Um, because they have, they don't always do the York Hall shows, even though they do in in practice. In theory, sometimes you know a few of them kind of just melt into the background. But some big title changes on this one, some big stories, seems to be getting pretty much universal praise. Um, it, it, they talked about it on the flagship on Thursday, and I listened to that, and they were singing its praises. I, I mean, I am as well, but I've, I've got a few niggles, which a few regular listeners have probably guessed. We'll do some news in the middle because we've had some big copper box news. We'll take a look at Rob Reed's latest updates about um, att uh, attendance and ticket sales and that sort of thing. And I've kind of been putting it off, but I think we do have to touch on money in the bank. You know, it's one of the biggest shows of all time in the country. 
I'm not going to review it match by match. I know it was a couple of weeks ago anyway, but just some overall thoughts and just some general outlines of why I think if you enjoy WWE and you enjoy their presentation, you're a massive idiot. Um, I'm joking. Or am I? Anyway, let's get down to that London and talk about Epic Encounter 2023. You know, one of the things I find hardest about podcasting is um, the transitions, like between little sections. Uh, and I always want to put that little bit of music and have that little bit of a break because um, I like it. When when Joe Lanza does his solo flagships, I like that. I don't know what it was. It just it made it feel good. I, I, I can't describe why. But I never really know how to do it. So I do that funny voice. And every time I do it, I, I think it was Sam. I think it was SM North on the Discord who said, uh, the, you remember the tomorrow in July? Do you remember this, this morning with Richard, not Judy? And uh, he said, just because you say it in a Robot Wars voice doesn't make it true. I've been watching uh, Tomorrow Jay. If you don't know what that is, you have to be a proper 90s kid, really, to get it. Um, you know, it's, it sort of came and went, and if you didn't catch it at the time, you never, you know, you, you, that's it, it's gone. But it was this morning with Richard, not Judy, and it was uh, Richard Heron and Stuart Lee. And I remember watching it. I must have been about seven or eight years old. I remember being very, very young. And do you know when you're at that age where you're just starting to learn some swear words and they're just really funny and you'd have uh, Richard Herring who would declare um, the one king on some of the episodes, it was like a panel based, not a panel show like a, a chat show kind of style thing with clips and sketches and that sort of thing uh, and Richard Herring would declare the, the one king from the show and he'd march around saying, one king, one king, one king, one king. And there'd be another one where he'd sing and he'd go, fa, 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 king. And it was just, this was on about 11 o'clock on a Sunday. And it, it I was absolutely splitting my sides every time I saw it. And my mum and my grandma would sit around and they'd just go, that's not funny, Neil. It's not funny, it's immature. And there's just something about that that made it even funnier to me for some reason. Um, so, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, the Robot Wars voice thing. And there's another one as well where Richard Herring used to say, uh, the perfect woman has the head of Nadia Swahala and the body of Nadia Swahala. No one's... I don't get... I mean, if you either find that funny or you don't, I, I, thought, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um... <laughs> just, I don't know what it was. They go through the Spice Girls and he'd say things like, um, he says, all the Spice Girls represent different types of women. Uh, Baby Spice represents women who are blonde and nothing else. You know, they just, uh, go go watch it. It's all on YouTube. It's worth it just for the, it's, as Arctic Monkeys would say, it's worth it just for the opening scene because the credits were amazing. Anyway, we're going to talk about York Hall. We're going to talk about Epic Encounter 2023. Um, I feel like sometimes I'm overly harsh on RevPro. Um, and I, I think sometimes when you do something like this, do you hyper-focus on them? You lose a little bit of that context. And it's really important for me doing this. I think it's just as important for me to watch lots and lots of British and European wrestling. But it's just as important for me to watch other indies, watch stuff from Japan, that sort of thing, watch big stuff, to give 
stuff context, you know, because it's important to be able to put things in sort of the ranking, like how good are our Red Pro, you know, how good are Progress, how, how good are WXW. And I think when you do that, you realise just how good Rev Pro actually are. And I think sometimes it's booked brilliantly and booked interestingly in spite of Quilden's better urges. And we're going to go through this match by match. Nobody reviews Brit Rest shows in as much detail as I do. And we're always going to do that. We're going to do match by match, really go through all the stories, look at the minutiae of it all. But sometimes I think I can hyper-focus on the little things. And we're going to do, you know, when, by, by just sort of the nature of doing that. But when you take a step back, this show was an absolute breeze to watch. Now, it was four hours long. It was three hours, 50 minutes. And that doesn't include the interval. Sometimes on these Red Pro shows, they just upload the live stream straight away and you've got, you know, half an hour or whatever to sort of a break in the middle. You can just skip. But this was three hours, 50 of back-to-back wrestling. And I've got to be honest, when I saw that, my heart sank a little bit. Because three hours is kind of my limit. You know, I like my shows to be two and a half hours. I get the fact it's York Hall. It's like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom can be six hours and I don't mind. WrestleMania can be four or five hours and I don't mind. I mean, because I don't watch it. It's easy not to mind when I don't watch it. But I was a bit, just the way they've been a little bit funny with run-ins and and, and little stories that I've not really enjoyed. I wasn't sure, but the four hours absolutely flew by. And actually, when I'm going through, I'm going to talk about recommendations and matches and there's certain matches that I think are must-see and certain matches that I think I would recommend if you've got time. But actually, if you have got time, if if you've got an evening in and you just maybe, you know, 10th edition Warhammer 40,000 is out and maybe you've started a new army like I have. I've started Drew Carey for this edition and you bought a load of models uh, against your wife's better judgment and you just want to sit and put them together. This is the perfect show for that. And that sounds like I'm criticising it. But it's just a great wrestling show to just have on and just, it feels, it's got that kind of old school feel when you were a kid, you know, where wrestling just seemed to happen and flow over you and you just seem to absorb it. And I, Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this show. But we've got to go through it match by match, haven't we? So let's start with the opener. So we start with the Cruiserweight Championship match and it's Robbie X against Connor Mills. And Robbie X lost. It's really made me sit back and think about how much Robbie X has improved in this past year, two years, since lockdown, really. I remember, do you remember those um, lockdown shows? And Robbie X was basically your flippy-do guy, wasn't he? He was the guy you'd go out, he'd do a load of mint flips. He was the guy that they used to put over people like RKJ. The series of matches they had played a huge part in getting RKJ to where he got to. Um, and, it, you know, his skill and his talent can't be understated. Um, but there's just something that's happened in this Cruiserweight title run and, and kind of the build to it. And he's not had it. How long has he had it? He had it just shy of a year. About nine months, wasn't it? Won it just before Christmas, I think. And there's just something about this changing him that's just been so captivating like he's he looks so much better now which you know it's not the be all and end all but it's an aesthetic business isn't it he's, he was a bit flabby i suppose he was a bit sort of skinny fat i believe the kids say 
but he, he you know he got ripped he got jacked he, he looked really good um you know shaved his head properly that sort of thing and they the the difference in him as a character as a person has just been palpable he used to be somebody who didn't really have much of a character or was a, wasn't able to express much of a personality in the ring. He was just able to do cool moves. And something's happened that's turned it all around and he's now able to, to deliver great promos. He's able to emote. He's able to react what's to what's going on in the ring, to look shocked, to look offended, to look hurt, to look determined. What I, you know, just to be, feel real, and he's just he's somebody you can get behind so much easier. And I said a lot about uh, earlier on about how York Hall shows are kind of like you change, aren't they? This is where we start to move forward and take extra steps. And I think Robbie X is going to be forgotten a little bit, but he's established himself with this cruiserweight title run as as being a a special special star for Rev Pro. Am I saying he should be a star elsewhere? I don't know. It'd be cool to see him get matches in more wider scene promotions, I guess. I don't know. But he's just done something absolutely fantastic for Red Pro. And I think whatever they do with him next, I know it's he's just he's going to have a little bit more weight to it because this, I think he's become a star in this championship run. I really have. And I'll tell you something as well. So's Connor Mills. I think these are two wrestlers that are in contention for being the most improved in this on, on the circuit, um, if not the world. I think the way Mills has turned himself around this year, because he was coming off the back of that Oku story, and he could have very easily have just had that as the best thing he could do. And I, I was on record on this podcast of saying... I really enjoyed that story. I, there was a few niggles with it, but I, overall I thought it was great. I thought it was really interesting. But what does Mills do next? What does Mills do without Oku? And it's something beautifully almost non-kayfabe, kayfabe mix about that, isn't there? Because that's kind of the story that they've been telling. You know, what does Mills do without Oku? I and mean, actually what he's done is he's cut his hair, he's got better in the ring, and he's become an even better wrestler than he's ever been. He's become more real, he's become more believable. I'm not distracted anymore by his rubbish braids. Um, he's he's He doesn't... I don't know what it was about them braids, and I, I was really hesitant to sort of go too far into it because I feel like someone's appearance is their appearance, and you know I'm not exactly Brad Pitt for those who see, see me at shows. I mean, I'm I'm a solid four out of ten, I think at best, but it just feels a little bit uncouth to criticise someone's appearance. But it's wrestling's an aesthetic business. And I don't know if it was like, you know, if you wear a jumper and you've got horizontal stripes and you look fatter. I don't know if it was the straight braids that made him look thinner or if he's gone away and worked out and got bigger or a combination of the two. But he just looks so much more believable and impactful these days since he's got a proper haircut, a proper regulation haircut. I think he looks brilliant. This went straight to punches and chops. And you know I'm going to be into that. You know, Mills ran out of the ring and they just started punching and hitting each other on the on the, uh, on the the entrance ramp. There was mental dives over the barricade. Robbie X bouncing around. Robbie X does not give a monkeys in a pub 
in the arse end of London. You put him in York Hall in front of 1,500 people or however many people get in there these days, and he's going to absolutely smash it. And he was utterly brilliant. There was a lovely bit in this where Robbie X was on the ropes kind of outside and Mills was just booting kick after kick. It wasn't one kick and Robbie X fell off. It was booting him and booting him and booting him to force him down onto the floor. And I think that's a Robbie X thing. You know, he doesn't just kind of do the the pro wrestling tropes where someone does a big boot so you fall off and you do it in an exaggerated way. It's all got that air of naturalness to him, that air of believability. And it, it, it I just think he's fantastic. There was loads of little moments of this where Robbie X was going for his cutter. I think he calls it the exclamation point, I think he calls it. But it's just an Oz cutter, you know, just everyone does them. And, you know... It's kind of it's it's the Canadian destroyer that we don't talk about, isn't it? The cutter. It's weird. It's it's one that it felt like we were talking about Canadian destroyers all the time, and we because everyone was doing them, but we kind of let people off doing cutters, and I think they're a little bit overdone. Um, just as unbelievable as um as a as a, a Canadian destroyer, but there was a bit in this where he's like I say he's going to do this cutter, and you could see Mills waiting. And he countered it. He booted him in the back of the head. And you could just they let you breathe that moment. And I think that's something about both Connor Mills and Robbie X that sort of happened this this past 12 months where their work has just become so much more impactful. And again, that doesn't mean... A, a lot of these veteran wrestlers think that what it means is you've either got to work slowly like you're in a 1970s territory or really fast breakneck indie style. And actually, we're reaching a point now where a lot of wrestlers know how to grab the best bits. I mean, they always did, didn't they? You know, the best wrestlers always did. But these have reached that point and it, it was really good. I mean, this fell off a little bit towards the middle, but then they do something like Connor Mills would, would boot him in his back and then clothesline him straight away in such a violent way. And Robbie X is selling. He's so brutal and committed and dedicated that it, it was it was so good. And it had one of those bits in matches. You know, one of those bits where there's a pinfall and it's a kick out and you can sense we're now into that final part of the match. And you know, it was it was lovely. Um, this was one of those matches as well that had some very weird botches. It was a bit where Connor Mills was in the corner and Robbie X did almost a shotgun drop kick, but just literally missed, just completely and utterly missed him. Um, and it it sh- probably should have taken me out of the match, but. I, I felt like because they were just wrestling on the limit, they were wrestling right up until the to the edge of what they could do. I kind of forgived it, for, I forgave it, I should say, because I, I was so captivated by the level of ambition and the level of dedication um, that was that was in it. Um, you know, just a few little bits missed, like Connor Mills got the burning hammer, which is his finish, and they tried to do that thing where Robbie X rolled out of the pin rather than kicked out out of instinct but Mills was fully compassmentous it wasn't like a desperate pin so he just looked a little bit weird that 
Mills looked shocked as he was rolling really slowly out. It felt like he had enough time to react to it. So, I mean, this is the level that we're talking at when we're criticising this match. We're talking about really little things. Um, there was a belt dis- um, distraction in this. Mills got the belt and there was a lot of drama in this match anyway just in the work just in the physicality and i thought it was really strange that they did that because it didn't add to it and i think this is going to be a really common thread through this show and i'm going to say this a lot about a lot of matches that i think what andy quilden or whoever's booking you know it's osprey whoever needs to do is do that classic writer's thing of what think what does this little extra bit that i want to put in what does it add because when you think about the story of this match you've got that classic continuation of the mills oku story yet again you've got mills in the opener competing for the cruiserweight championship you've got oku in the main event competing for the heavyweight championship they're making a big deal all the way through this match about Robbie X desperate to beat Oku's record and to be the one who beats it. So constantly, all the way through what should be Connor Mills's moment, Connor Mills's crowning, who are the commentary talking about? They're talking about Michael Oku. And all this adds to the the mise-en-scene and the feel of this match and you can you know how Connor Mills is going to feel about that and it 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 feels like I want Connor Mills to react in a human way and the human way would for him to be brutal like he has been to go that extra mile with the punches and the kicks and just be that little bit more violent that little bit more aggressive and they chose to tell it with a belt distraction and heelish spots and I think sometimes in Repro they want to be quote creative, but their idea of creativity a lot of the time is just doing stuff. And this match and this story would have been much better served by just having a tough heel. Just by having Connor Mills kick butt. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if that 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 makes any sense to you but I, I just think it, it would have been sometimes simplest is best and in fact I think most of the time simplest is best and if you're going to do something complicated you've got to be able to justify it and I, I don't think they could justify it here and it's a shame because it, it just took the edge off the match didn't ruin the match by any stretch of the imagination it just took the edge off it a little bit anyway Next up, we had Trent Seven versus Shah Samuels in an NXT UK offer match. And it's very, very hard to get excited about Trent Seven. It's very hard to get excited about Shah Samuel. And I know they asked on the flagship this week. They were asking, they were talking about the Brits being grumpy. And, and that's true. You know, the Irish as well. You know, <laughs> everyone on the European sea just seems grumpy. And especially about people like Trent Seven in NXT UK. And I don't think I am grumpy. I think I give people a fair shot. Um, they weren't talking about me, obviously, just talking generally. But the reason I find it so hard to get excited about matches like this, and the reason why I'm not overly keen on Andy bringing in these NXT UK stars, is it feels like we've kind of moved on a little bit. Like, do you remember those old Chris Book 
Brooks promos when NXT UK started signing everyone and he'd say things like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm dedicated to the British scene and I want to be a, an independent wrestler. I want to be a proper wrestler. You know, you've got Osprey who dedicated himself to the scene and it feels like there was a line drawn in the sand and it, it feels like certain wrestlers chose one side, line of the, uh, one side of that line and other wrestlers chose another sign. And it just... Trent Seven so vocally chose the wrong side, so vocally chose to cross that, dare I say, picket line, and not just do it because, oh, you know, that old bollocks of the wanting to put food on the table. He did it so vocally and so arrogantly, you know, the hang your head in shame tweets at Justin Sizem and that sort of thing. And now he wants to come back and he wants to come back to a, a, a promotion that he's doing incredibly well, that is incredibly successful, despite of what him and his NXT UK friends did, in spite of what they did. And they did it through hard work. They did it through Quildon building a proper training school and pushing wrestlers like Luke Jacobs and Leon Slater, and Cameron Kai, and Robbie X, and Connor Mills, and Michael Oku, pushing them properly, and pushing them well, and creating good stories, and putting wrestling on for wrestling fans that you could sink your teeth into, and even when I came on these podcasts, and even when I came on these shows, and I slagged them off to IL, and I said, that finish was rubbish, and that finish was rubbish, and that finish was rubbish, and this didn't work, and this belt spot was crap, and this dancing spot was garbage, it didn't matter, because it had heart, and it had reality, and it was something that was made by wrestling fans, for wrestling fans, and it was worth us sinking our teeth into. And it wasn't some garbage that he was off doing in a warehouse in Enfield. Because he wanted to put food on the table. Even though they were being paid about 18 grand a year to live in London. So don't come at me with the food on the table thing, because they were massively underpaying him. And now he's back, and Shah Samuels is back, and I'm supposed to be excited. That's why I'm grumpy. I just can't do it. It's bro- it's broken that fourth wall of kayfabe for me. I can't just go, oh, Trent Seven's back. And uh, do you know what makes it easy? This is what makes it easy. And I know it probably shouldn't be like this, and this probably makes me sound really hypocritical. But if we're really honest, if it was Pete Dunn, we'd get over it a bit quicker, wouldn't we? If it was Tyler Bate, we might get over it a little bit quicker. But it's not, is it? It's Trent Seven and Shah Samuels. They are fine. And I liked them both. I liked them both when they were on cards before NXT UK. But now, do you know what it is? And this is, you can call me pathetic all you want about this. And I know it sounds so stupid because I wrote this in a review and people laughed at me and I kind of understand why. But I also find it to be true. It's like a partner who cheats on you, isn't it? For the RevPro fan, for me, they're like the partner who cheated. And yeah, you might get them back. You might rekindle the flame of the lost romance. But it's never going to be the same. All of these people who went to NXT UK, no matter what you do, no matter how many great matches you go on to have, no matter how many successes 
you you bring to the scene, no matter how many tickets you sell eventually, whatever. You've st- you still went to NXT UK. You still went to NXT UK. And Trent Seven, not only did he go, he told me that we should be thankful for it. He, sh- he he didn't just want to go and get the money. He wanted to go get the money and get the pat on the back as well. And the applause and the fake, the fake, fake appreciation. The fakeness that came with that era of British wrestling, like in progress. Just the, the saccharine, matey, matey bollocks. Don't wash with me. But I tell you, it did wash with. It washed with the York Hall fans because they absolutely loved it. You know, they were cheering the Reds off. And, you know, and to be fair, they had a perfectly fine match. They went out and they wrestled at a good clip. And I thought Shah looked really good, you know. And I, I, I don't mind a bit of Shah. I thought he, he, he was really good here. Um, at the end, it was a little bit funny. Trent won with his foot on the ropes. And we, we know why... That that kind of leads into later on, which, spoiler alert, as I'm sure you've guessed, I absolutely hate it. But I actually quite like the way they did this because they did it as a bit of a of a sporting contest. Um, Trent Seven cheated to win, but then at the end, he was like shaking Shah's hand and, sh- and obviously Shah didn't know. And he was like, oh yeah, fair enough. You know, it's a, it's a fair cop. Uh, you know, well done, mate. We had, we had a good bit of competition there. And then at the end, the crowd were like, no, he had his foot on the ropes. And then somebody, I assume, had the, uh, I assume they recorded it on the phone because they can't have had the live D- uh, VOD because it never works. And they showed him a video of him with his foot on the ropes and Shah was like, what's going on? You know, and it was, it was a little bit holiday camp but in the best way, you know. You know when Holiday Camp Wrestling just really hits and you think, oh, Holiday Camp Wrestling rules. It had that kind of feel to it. Um, I just thought it was really good. Um, I, I thought it was a really interesting ending. And it was 10 minutes. So probably my little um, grumpiness earlier on wasn't really justified. And I think sometimes maybe we just need to move on. So I've got it out of my system now and we're going to move on. And um, Eurograps Express has officially moved on from Trent Seven, and we're going to give him a fair shake at the stick. I hope you're happy. Next up, we had my favourite wrestler on the scene, Luke Jacobs, come out, and he came out to an absolute roar. And again, we talked about improvements of Robbie X and Connor Mills. I think Jacobs is right there with them. In fact, I think he's probably improved even more. Just the way he walks out with the utter swagger and confidence and you know he's going to go in that ring and absolutely kill himself and dedicate himself 100% to what he's doing there's just something so captivating about that that you cannot deny you know you cannot help but get carried away in and then Tom Lawler came out as opponent and I love Lawler he was so grimy you know the, the the USA gear he had a shirt on with a big American flag he had uh, these American pants on and, and you know it was just very very corny and I, I liked it and you know what this was a proper bit of wrestling it really was if you like a proper bit of wrestling then this is a match for you he's grabbing his you know Tom Lawler's grabbing Luke's leg twisting it round then just booting him in the back and um what I like about Luke Jacobs work is um there's still a little way to go but one of my favorite things about his work is is he often decides to just defy what you're expecting so they'll be like 
a, a rope running kind of spot and he'll suddenly just do a forearm out of nowhere that just seems to take everyone by surprise and it's not amazing work in sort of a technical point of view I guess but from a structured point of view it is and I, I really really like that about him I, I think it, it works you know and it, it makes his matches so much more captivating because you never really know what to expect when he's doing it um and yeah, that's great. Like that keeps you on your toes, and obviously that's fantastic. Um, I love how Jacob struggles in these situations as well. You know, you put him against a peer like a Jake Kit, Jake Kit. Get me words out against a Gabe Kid, and it's very much them just trying to kill each other and punch each other, and you know, go balls to the wall, just go a hundred miles an hour until the ball collapses. But when they put him against a veteran, it seems a little bit more. Um, paced and a little bit more like he's struggling from underneath and having to work his way up. Um, and he he always seems to tell the right story at the right time. Uh, I think that that was really really interesting. Um, the final bit of this where they were just smashing each other, battering, battering, pushing and pushing, and then Jacobs won in the end. And I, I thought this was a great match. I think this is a match that a lot of people are just going to sort of skip. They might look at it and just say, okay, Jacobs against an import. Jacobs won. He's on a push. Of course, he did all that business. But I really wouldn't if I were you. I, I, I think this was a this was a really, really good, great, great match. You know, f- definite notebook easily. Next up, we had Greedy Souls against Subculture. Um, some more NXT UK guys. They, I, the ending of this was a massive surprise to me. Um, I think part of this is because I've really loved Greedy Souls' work. I really have. I think they've been absolutely fantastic. Um, and I was really shaky on them at the start. You know, when they were doing that heel stuff and just cheating and getting themselves counted out, I was a bit like, oh, I don't really want that. But then they turned it around and it just became a really good heel tag team. Um, and I, I didn't feel like this run had, had come to an end. You know, the, I know they've struggled to kind of build op- opponents in the tag team and uh, division and it kind of gone away. But I mean, they, they were champs for a long time, nearly a year. Um, but it just feels like I wasn't ready for them to lose it. Because even though they've been champs for a year, they've only had one, two, three, four, five title defences. That's it. You know, and there were some ones I really liked. Like, what was the one that was done by referee stoppage? Um, was it again? Yeah, when they really battered Sunshine Machine. I think that one was really good. Um, but, yeah, they just never really felt like they, they got going that much as a tag team. Um, and then Subculture have won. And again, Subculture have just kind of come in. And I wonder if there's an element of Mark Andrews is a bit more of a name. I suppose Flash Morgan Webster is as well to a certain extent. And they've got a big copper box to fill. And they think it might do a little bit more. Perhaps they're going to do a rematch, maybe, that sort of thing. Maybe they knew that Subculture, because they're now the Impact champions as well. So there's a chance for that you know, kind of crossover and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I just, I just don't love the idea of subculture coming in and ending this really quickly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Webster seemed really subdued in this one. 
um, you know, the old progress favourite is very different now, it seems, post-NXT UK. He doesn't always have that fire as much, and when he does, it feels a little bit forced. There's just a little bit of a, of a like I say, a more of a subdued nature um, to him. Um, felt a little bit slow at times, this, you know, it's it was a good match. It, you know, it was this, this to me was very much a gentleman's three. Um, you know, there was the, the build-up to the hot tag. There was quite a few clunky moves. Like, there was a bit where Mark Andrews walked over um, Daddy Jones's back, but Daddy Jones clearly got himself in position and bent over for ages, that sort of thing. Um, it, it ticked a lot of boxes, but was just unexciting. And to be honest with you, the crowd were either really split or indifferent about subculture. They don't feel like Rev Pro people to this subculture. Maybe that's what it is. They just don't feel like they're established as Rev Pro guys. And Rev Pro's become a very unique promotion. Even though obviously everybody works everywhere. Just their weird combination of guys that they've got feels very much them. Um and I realised that as Brendan just tossed two of them together, I just thought I didn't want them to win subculture. And I, I thought that was weird because they were wrestling as baby faces and I, I didn't want them to win. I wanted um, Greedy Souls to keep going. Maybe that was just me. Like I said, the crowd didn't seem to really react to them very much. Um, the ending was really exciting. It got over at the end, you know, because proper work. Um, you know, it got over and, you know, we're going to go forward and have some culture and I'm sure they're going to have a, a... If they could get the opponents, I think it would be a really great run. Um... Didn't have a screwy finish as well, which made it unique on this show. Next up, we had a four-way women's match. And it was Windsor uh, against Sky Smithson, against Hyen, against Danny Luna. Great to see Alex Windsor back. Uh, obviously, my feelings and thoughts about Alex Windsor haven't been a secret. I think she's absolutely fantastic. Um, gutted that the injuries keep uh, seem to keep popping up. It's one of those things where you've got to wonder, is she unlucky or is this just something that's going to keep happening? And it feels now you've got your fingers crossed that it doesn't happen again. You know, and I, I saw she put something on Twitter about, um, you know, the, the, if it basically happens again, then she's done, which I think would be a real shame. I feel like I'm going to use a phrase here that I use a lot when I'm talking about Red Pro, And that phrase is not how I would have done it. Again, think about what we were saying before about that Robbie X Connor Mills match, and and did is this the most effective, best way of telling this story? To me, the really obvious better story was to have Danny Luna run the gauntlet. Basically, because Danny Luna's been great. She's another one. Again, think of these Red Pro wrestlers who've just started off and they've been all right. Yeah, they're decent enough, but the um the improvements that the, she's made and she's become someone who I'm genuinely excited to see. And I think he's a genuine great wrestler. But they made her lose the title to Sky Smithson. They've involved Hyen in the mix, and made it this massive weird four-way instead of just have Danny Luna beat everybody and then face Alex Windsor at the big show and have that one-on-one -on -one match between them and finally find out which of the two is, is, is the best. 
I think that to me would have been much more captivating. I think it would have been a better match as well. Because four ways are not good, are they? Especially these elimination four ways. You know, they just end up like a, a mess. And, you know, long contrived corner spots that no one really cared about. Just really weird botches on the you know, on the ropes and, like, really unusual, like, clunky bits of wrestling that I think if it was just Danny Luna and uh, Alex Winter having a match, wouldn't have been there. Um, Hyam was really good here, actually, and I'm not really a Hyam fan. I think she's okay. I think she has good moments, and with the right opponent, she's really good. But here, Hyam was 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 great, Was was really, really good, very violent, very quick. Um, it felt again because it was an elimination match it had to go into protection mode you know Luna was eliminated but it was with a chair so we're kind of keeping her alive um, Smithson eliminated herself basically you know she didn't you know the uh, Hyen and Alex Winter pulled down the top rope and she fell over it but it looked like she eliminated herself so they're trying to sort of keep her safe but she ended up just looking a little bit stupid Um. Windsor turned heel at the end and, and we just started telling stories, you know, and she batters high on and I don't know. It's it's a funny one, this one. I don't know. It could work on it because it's Alex Windsor. And I think she, she'll be a great heel. I do because she looked like a good heel here. Um, it, It's just not how I would have done it. I, I just don't see. Sad, isn't it? Because if you think if Alex Windsor just beats Danny Luna, what do you do then? Would you have had Danny Luna win over Alex Windsor in a first match back? I mean, that's the traditional Japanese way of doing it, isn't it? You know, you lose your first match back because you're not quite up to speed, and then have Alex Windsor on the chase and basically, yeah, that's what I'd have done. Then do the same thing in reverse. Have Alex Windsor run the gauntlet and see if she could do what Danny Luna does, but maybe get a quite close to the end, but then have Sky Smiths and beat her, and she's, you know, she, she, I don't know, just anything would have been more interesting than, hey, just turn a heel. And it's not bad, you know, it's not that it's a bad way of doing it, it's just, you know, and they're doing it well, if you're going to do it, they're doing it quite well. <coughs> like Maya Matthews, sorry, excuse me, Maya Matthews came out with Alex Windsor, and she didn't see what had happened because she was dealing with Sky Smithson and stopping her interfering. And then Alex Windsor turned on Maya Matthews, who hadn't noticed that what... I don't know. I'd, I'd rather it was just done in a much more realistic way. And this turning heel is too pro-wrestling for these kind of stories, I think, sometimes. It works in WWE. It can work. But just people don't turn heel, do they? People don't turn face. I, I think what good stories need is shades of grey and they're not allowing those shades of grey to really sing through a lot of the time which is a bit of a shame um but the, the match was 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 okay it was fine it's probably what you expect next up we had uh Zack Sabre Jr defeated Jordan Breaks purpose wrestling's oh Jordan Breaks this is such a cool match um i'm glad breaks is getting um a, a a break. Um, 
this will sound so stupid, but this is why. He came out with a water bottle that he bought from B&M or something. He just, he's, there's just something very real about him. He comes out looking like a bloke off the street. And sometimes that can work and sometimes it can. But Jordan Brakes has got a very, very brilliant charisma to him. Where he comes out and he's like waving at the crowd and giving them thumbs up. And it's genuine. It feels like I'm watching the real person Jordan Brakes come out and have a wrestling match. Um, there's just something I find so satisfying about this style of wrestling. I think Zack Sabre Jr. is great because he could do that World of Sports style wrestling against a lot of different wrestlers at such a high level that he can do that technical wrestling really well. But when it's two technical wrestlers together, I understand that that's a preference thing and some people are going to be turned off by it. And I, I do understand that. That's absolutely fine. Um... But I bloody love it. And there was so many times in this where you didn't know who was suckering who into the move. You know, there'd be moments where Zack Sabre Jr. would hold uh, out the handshake. So Jordan breaks and shake his hand. And Zack Sabre Jr. would go, ha ha, and sort of try and put him in a move. But Jordan breaks knew he was going to put him in a move. So he then reversed the move. And it, it was things like that. That If you find that sort of thing really satisfying, this is as good as it gets. You know, um, the Observer gave this four stars. I'm a little bit higher because I think it's it's more my sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, just a really, really great match. And it's one of those matches where you watch it and you see Zack Sabre Jr. wrestle. And you think, Zach, how have you not thought of all of the moves? How have you not done it? How are there still more moves? You know, there was one where he's kind of doing a camel clutch, but he's doing it with his back. Like they're topping and tailing, but back to back. And he's got his legs around his head and he's doing a camel clutch. That you know, That's what's so captivating about Zack Sabre Jr. moves is you can't even really describe them. You know, they're that good. And it, it, I was just watching going, I've never seen that before. How have you come up with that move? I want to know, but I don't want to know if he plans them in advance. I feel like once I know the answer, that'll ruin the, the cap the captivatingness of it and i don't ever want that to happen with zack sabre jr because he's probably one of my favorite wrestlers of all time you know i'd put him up there with anyone um you know just they both get the little crawls and scratches you know they don't just sit in submissions they don't give each other limbs it felt like they were really wrestling um there was a little bit of a botch at the end um i don't know if it was a botch where Breaks tapped, but kind of halfway through a transition, but actually ended up working. I think it felt like a little bit more realistic, more like Zack Sabre Jr. didn't realize he tapped, so wrenched in the next move. And you know, it, 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 not everything has to be smooth, and it, it worked. Zack Sabre Jr. did a promo at the end, and he said it's British bloody wrestling. And talking about Stuart Lee earlier on, he just rips off Stuart Lee. He kept going on about the Americans. You know what they're like, the Americans with their hot dogs. You know, the Americans. You know, the way Stuart Lee can repeat a word and phrase, and he's kind of ripped off his intonation a little bit, which, if you're not a Stuart Lee fan, then, you know, great. But I don't... I don't think Stuart Lee is as underground as he feels when you watch him. Do you know what I mean? His whole shtick is that he's this thinking man's comedian that only about 10 people watch, but actually he's, he's he, he sells a lot of tickets, you know, and, it, and people get his, his cadence and his intonation and stuff like that. So I'm not a hundred percent sure we should be ripping him off as much as he does. Um, 
then Ricky Knight Jr. comes out. And we need to have a conversation about Ricky Knight Jr. Because I've gone from having him as my tip to be a massive star, genuinely thinking he's going to be the next big thing, to have cooled off on him so badly. Uh, there's been two elements to this. I think one of them is injury, to be fair. He got injured and he couldn't. He had to drop the title. But even then, even when he had the title, he never really did anything particularly exciting with it. He didn't have that defining defence. And you could only have that first reign once. So even though at Copper Box, and we're going to talk about these matches later, but even though at Copper Box we're getting Zack Sabre Jr. against Ricky Knight Jr., and I know that's going to be a great match. If you'd have told me about that match a year and a half ago, a year ago, I'd have been frothing at the mouth. My chops would have been dripping with saliva. But now, I don't know. It's just something about Ricky Knight Jr. that he's, I'm sure he can get it back, but he's got to get that bit of excitement back. You know, he can't just come out and attack Zack Sabre Jr., and uh, again, get get it back that way. We've got to see some good wrestling from him. I think another match was set up as well. But we'll, I tell you what, we'll save all the copper box stuff for its own section because we've had quite a lot. Next up, we had the match that you have to see. If you're only going to watch one match from this, you've got to see it. And it was Slater against Osprey, and absolute no surprise that this match was brilliant. Absolute no surprise. It was brilliant in despite of some absolute bullshit that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but you know going in that Osprey is going to want to put Leon Slater over. And I feel like we're, ready, we're really ready to find out now, aren't we, with Leon Slater? I mean, he's like 20, let's be honest. But he's, he feels like he's at the point now where we're ready for that big match. And if you're going to have it against anyone, it's got to be against Leon Slater. And I I don't want to push these sorts of things because I know there's this thing in Brit Rest now and people like me who are deep into the scene and talk about the scene a lot that we, we get our claws into people too soon and we start pushing guys and declaring guys the next big thing too early. And I'm really hesitant to do that because I want, I want to do that with Cameron Kai. You know, I really do. I really want to call Cameron Kai the, 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 the best wrestler of all time. Uh, you know, and say, yeah, he's, he's going, to be, oh, going to be the best wrestler of all time. But I don't. But there's got to be some hope there. And I think the hope warranted them is Leon Slater. I've been thinking about structure a lot in wrestling these days. And for some reason, structure of stuff has always fascinated me. When I went to university, I did a, a writing at university, a lot of writing. And when I learned about the structure of films, it, it really made me think and fascinated by it. And I can't watch films now without thinking of those lessons, you know, like a three-act structure where you set a world... You establish the world that you've got. You have an inciting incident which sends your protagonist on a journey. Then there's rising action and then something will happen. You know, they'll maybe get some victories and things will be going well, but then things will happen that will make the, the protagonist have the dark night of the soul. 
and they'll be right down in the dumps and they'll have the big thing that they've got to overcome. But then in the end, they'll overcome it and there'll be a new resolution. And that fits like 90% of films. And I'm wondering what the equivalent of that is with wrestling. And I guess it's you have your spot at the start where you know there's a bit of an exchange then you have your back and forth where you have control periods then you have that big kick out and then you have the closing stretch and i suppose that's the king's road style the new japan style is it the king's road style no it's not is it because king road like ended suddenly didn't it but that's kind of like the modern new japan style isn't it that's how they kind of do their matches and we've settled on that as being a pretty damn good way of doing your matches and I think sometimes if you deviate, and that's not a bad thing that a lot of matches follow that, by the way. 12-bar blue still works, you know what I mean? And if you're going to deviate from that, I think there's got to be a really good reason. And this match a RevPro often do deviate from that. But they, I mean, they did it at the start, because the start was like a breakneck speed. You know, everything from Osprey was perfect. You know, the arrogance from him and the fight back from Slater. And we settled in and we're watching this great match. Like I say, you're watching Osprey do things like a tope. There's things you see in almost every match, just doing them absolutely perfectly. And Slater's the same. He's perfect, but in a different way. He's almost perfect in his imperfection. How wild everything is. How everything's at breakneck speed. And because he's kind of long and gangly, you feel like you're watching limbs fly everywhere and just a wild man doing the wrestling. And incredible corner drop kick. Incredible corner drop kick. And there were bits in this like Osprey running away from him and Slate having to hunt him down. It was like in the octagon when you watch those UFC clips and you've got the dominant person in the middle and someone just running around and they've got to kind of get away and reposition themselves. And they did that. It was great. There was a bit where Leon Slater countered the Oscutter into a neck breaker. And it's one of the just when you watch those spots of two amazing wrestlers just do something so ambitious, so athletic, so inventive and creative, but executed perfectly. Just unbelievable stuff. The spin from a suplex into a stunner, then there's a bit where. Leon Slater shoved Osprey over the corner and then just leapt over it. And he does that every match, but he just did it with such speed and brutality and impact. How do they do it? How is it possible that human beings can do this? I, I would die if I attempted a suplex. If someone gave me a vertical suplex, I would get a stitch on the way up. I mean, what was great about this is I, I loved all the safety nerds on the internet crying about the Omega match and Osprey's made brutal neck bumps his thing. He gave a Liger bomb that looked like he was going to break Leon Slater in half. I love it. I love it. It's his thing now to break your flipping neck. No one got on Twitter about that, did they, and complained about it? No, because the cool kids watch RevPro, and we know these big neck bumps are cool. A, they're brilliant, and B, they're probably not as dangerous as you think because wrestlers train the neck. And they're going to tell you it's dangerous and brutal because it's wrestling, it's kayfabe, I'm just nerds. Honestly, if you 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when you were getting into All Japan if you're the same age as me, and you got that mixtape from Middleton Market? You went down and you, the guy that was selling you the Rock t shirt. Fight when you were 12, finally decided that when you were 15, you were ready for this mixtape, and he sold it for a five, is what happened to me, and he sold it for a fiver, and I took it home, and I'm watching King's Road stuff, and I'm watching Kawada being dropped on his neck, can you imagine the sort of dog that would tut and shake his head and go oh no I don't, I don't like that, that's a bit dangerous, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And now we've got losers logging on to twi- Elon Musk's Twitter.com. You've got the dogs who are logging on to that awful website and tutting and shaking their heads and going, oh, we don't want that in wrestling. Yeah, we do. We do. We want dangerous looking stuff in wrestling. Everything's dangerous. Bailey tripped up the other day and broke a leg. For God's sake. Tell you what, this match looked dangerous and it looked brilliant and I loved it. But what happened, going back to what I was saying about structure, the bits that I didn't like, the bits that I didn't like, there was the ref pro bump, a.k.a. the ref bump, and then a low blow. And then Geo said the boos were thunderous. But they weren't really. Like, they were just kind of there. Um, and then Maloney came out. And I thought, why now? Why not at the end? And there was cool stuff at the end of this, you know. And it, it, it was, you know, the, but why do the running then? And it's like I was saying about the structure. It wasn't overly egregious in terms of its interference. But you've messed with that structure by having that interference. And did it make this match better or did it take it away? It absolutely took away. But then we saw... The spot of the year. I have watched this spot about 15 times and I still can't work out how they did it. Osprey did a hidden blade to Leon Slater's face as they were both leaping through the air towards each other. And I, I, I just watched it and I rewound it and I watched it and I rewound it and I watched it and I rewound it. I feel like Alvin Lucia, you are sitting in a room very different from the one you're in now. But I did. I just watched it over and over and over again. And I, I think it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then at the end, there was a big fuss. You know, Maloney obviously wants Osprey. But, you know, it's not going to happen. Osprey's, I think, you know, putting things in his way and they're building that match again. But Maloney looks so good. You know, he, he battered everyone. He battered Osprey. He battered Leon Slater at the end. And, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm up for that match. I just think, why do the, why have him come out too early? I don't know. Maybe that's just me.
you know, maybe it doesn't bother you as much. And it didn't bother, you know, he hasn't bothered a lot of people. It's getting, you've got four and a half stars in the Observer. A lot of people are really rating it. So, you know, maybe I am out to lunch a little bit. But, you know, he's, he's very much not my thing, that sort of thing, is it? Uh, right, main event time then. And this match, I think if you're parachuting into this match, you're probably not going to like it the way that me and you, the regular Eurograps Express listener, liked it. Because this was a RevPro story. And this is when RevPro do their stories well. We've talked about a little bit of the bollocks on this show and a little bit of, you know, there's been times when they've really dropped the ball. But when Andy wants to tell a story and he really commits to it, he tells it brilliantly. And I'm not going to sit on the fence with this one. And some people might think this is hyperbole or might think I'm going over the top, and that's absolutely fine. I think Michael Oku is a generational talent. I think he's special. I think he's absolutely at his peak right now. And he's telling amazing stories. You know, you get fans of certain promotions that want to talk about stories. But nobody has told stories in the ring like Michael Oku. Like he's done with Connor Mills. And like he's done here. I think there's so much to dig into with Michael Oku's RevPro run. I I do this thing quite a bit where I um I do journeys with a wrestler. So I might think, all right, I'm gonna watch all of um a certain wrestler's matches, maybe in a promotion or something. So I'm gonna say, oh, I'm gonna watch all of Jushin Thunder Liger's matches, or I'm gonna watch all the Dynamite Kids matches, um or something. You know, you can get me. It's, it's a stupid little thing that I do with like in the background, um. And I'd, I'm going to do it, I think, with Oku's Red Pro run. Because there's just so much to sink your teeth into. that we And we've got a bit of space now. And if we're honest, I think him winning the big title... I might be proved wrong with this, but I think him winning the big title is probably the end, isn't it? You know, he's not somebody who should be champion for a long period of time. I think he's somebody who should be... Um, the chaser, isn't it? Rather than the, the, the chased, if that makes sense. But I was watching it and just got, they were going through all these themes and it felt huge. And that's what Michael Oku can do. Better than, I think, 90% of wrestlers, 95% of wrestlers. He's incredibly small. He's good in ring from a technical point of view. He's solid. But he's just eclipsed, eclipses everything with this this charisma, this palpable charisma that you just get caught up in, and you 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 just get taken along with whatever it is that he's doing. He makes you feel something. Whatever he's feeling, he makes you feel it as well, and it it's. Like I say, it's palpable. And Andy has got it over so well. You know, everything he's had in Red Pro, he's scraped and fought for. And I didn't even realise this, but they made such a huge deal at this that, that his Mike Loku's Red Pro debut was a loss against Great O'Khan. When Great O'Khan was doing the Dominator thing. 
And Okan has that too. There's something about Okan in Red Pro that feels huge because he had a proper successful excursion here. You know, and I wrote about it, and it was boring at parts. It was, you know, there were matches that were absolute crap for parts of it. But he's a Rev Pro guy. He was made in Rev Pro because the great wrestler he is now, the great character he has, where did he learn to be that person? Right here. Right here in Rev Pro. So you've got a guy that was made in Rev Pro, two guys that were made in Rev Pro, wrestling for the big Rev Pro championship. This was a match for RevPro, for the fans. You know, and it starts off just little things. You've got Michael Oku looking bare in his black and white tights in the corner, looking nervous, wide-eyed like a deer. And you've got Oku stood there, the big Japanese star, the champion, resplendent in his gold, in his Baltazar gold cloak, with his hands behind his behind his back looking intimidating and it you know with a i tell you what a mirror has improved so much as well i was ready to just boot her out of red pro for a long time but she's got so much better in red pro with the way she does it and they're talking like i say about oku's journey starting with okan beating him He gets battered, Oku. He gets pushed from pillar to post. He gets booted over the ropes. He's constantly on the edge. He's, he's you know, every move Oku does felt like clack, crash and burn. And it, sometimes it missed. Sometimes he even hit his own Amira, um, his own valet. Are they married? On the podcast, he was saying his wife. I don't know if they're married. Whatever, it doesn't matter, does it? The, his partner. You know, things like, like just Amira getting involved with Gideon Gray. It felt like if you're going to tell these pro wrestling stories with this, with these interferences and these, these managers, keep it simple like this and believe it or not, do it well. Do it subtly. Do it with these great, gener- like Gideon Gray, a generational talent. He looked like an idiot in his hoodie and his Marks and Spencer's salmon shirt. And it's perfect. This new character, I mean, Gideon Gray is getting better and better and better as the years go on. The idea now that he's this money mark who, you know, he's, his parents are rich and he's he's got that thing. Like, I don't think this is true. I, I think he's just a working man like everyone else. But he can play this character of, you know, the way rich people dress really badly in a really expensive way. He just exudes that kind of energy and he's, he's, he's perfect. He's, you know, there was a bit on the ramp where Oku, it was doing his hand signals and Gideon Gray was doing it behind him and you're like you absolute dork you know who do you know who should be DMing Gideon Gray Don Callis because Don Callis wants to do the same character as Gideon Gray but he doesn't do it half as well he's not got half the Rick Mail about him that Gideon Gray does he was so good you know, I just, you know, this match has got three and three quarters by Dave. And I know, obviously, Dave keeps up with Red Pro to a certain extent, but he's got a lot on. But if you're invested in, he's got a lot on. <laughs> I understand Dave Meltzer's got a lot on. But, you know, if you're invested in these Red Pro stories, I, I just the desperate boots to the leg. He was old old school heel stuff like he was bullying Oku then going into the crowd and finding the three people who were cheering for him and celebrating with them and I I thought this match was so so good and you could see that brilliant thing when 
you know, Oku's got the submission in in the middle of the ring, and you can feel the crowd, and you can see them standing up. And when he tapped, the room erupted, and Oku stood up, and we all stood up with him. And I, I just thought this: if you want to look at story, forget Roman Reigns, forget the bloodline. This is pro wrestling storytelling. This is what it is. And all the baby faces coming out and celebrating with Oku. And the, it should have been corny. It should have been, but it wasn't. It worked. And you know the bit I loved about this? Mills came out. And no one attacked anyone yet. I'm going to pause a minute because there's a big asterisk on all of this. But Mills came out and stood there and looked at his partner. and Or former partner. And there was a moment of them looking at each other. And there's almost, you could see in Mills' eyes and Oku's eyes, it it's that thing of when, I don't know, like they bumped into an old partner, you know, like Paul Simon, who's still crazy after all these years. And they bumped into them and they realised that if circumstances are different, and they could have been at this point under different circumstances. Maybe they could have been happy. And there was a moment where you could tell that both of them maybe wanted to go in the ring, to hug, to shake it out. And in that moment, you realise that as much as you want that in that millisecond, it'll never work. Because Mills has been overshadowed again, hasn't he? This should have been Mills's big moment. He's won the Cruiserweight title. He's, had, he's worked hard, he's been on a good run, and he's won a belt. But like always with Mills, like every single point in his Red Pro career, Oku's done that one bar. Mills has won the second belt. Oku's won the top one. And they just turn and walk away. And that's what I love about the Mills-Oku story. He always has that dose of reality to it doesn't it and all that story told in a look that's how good Oku is that's how good Mills is and I'm critical of Mills a lot I am I am critical of him but who can do that in wrestling who can do that like Mills and Oku can then Trent Seven came out put the belt on Oku but then robbed it and gave him a a, a rainmaker and ran off with a belt. Whatever. Trent Seven in it. No, forgot. We're giving him another chance. Come on. Trent Seven. Um so that was your call. A really a, a great show. I thought it was. Going over it now has made me realise how great it was and an easy watch and you know ev- everything was good. Everything on the show was good. You know, the worst match was probably Trent Seven against Shah Samuels, and it was 10 minutes and it served a purpose. There was a great amount of variety on it. You know, you have the Luke Jacobs, Tom Lawler, Bruise Fest. You have the Sabre Jr. breaks, um, uh, sort of technical showcase. Slater Osprey was your cut and dry match of the year candidate style of match. You had the great story match at the top. The women's match was fine. You had the, you know, the cruiserweight match. Nothing was bad on this. Everything, I, I think this has been the best York call for ages. I thought it was really, really good. Probably the best one since Christmas. Um, Since, uh, yeah, yeah, just loved it. Really great stuff. So, 
That's Red Pro. Let's go on and talk about what we've got coming up after Copperbox. So we're now up to four matches announced for Copper Box. And remember, they've got to sell a lot of tickets to this place. And we'll, we'll talk about tickets in a minute. We knew about Will Ospreay against Shingo Takagi. Great match. You know, epic, epic match. Um, they've also announced JJ Gale against Kosei Fujita. Because uh, at the end of the uh, Zack Sabre Jr. match, JJ Gale came out and reminded us all that he was the one who eliminated Zack Sabre Jr. But he said, well, actually, first of all, you've got to get through um, Kosei Fujita. Uh, I'm not hugely struck on Fujita. I, I, I maybe, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I can't say I'm an expert on him, I, I have to say. But from what I have seen, I've not been hugely impressed. Probably, I think, just overshadowed by the others of his generation. Really, you know, it's the, the apparently the new three musketeers. But you know, I think it's that could be an interesting match. I think JJ Gale's a great wrestler. I kind of wish he had a better opponent to be honest with you. But more for him to have a better showing. But you know, I think it, it that could be okay. They've made Ricky Knight Jr. against Zack Saber Jr. that we talked about earlier on. Um, again, as I said, I think. What that's got to have is Ricky Knight Jr. really putting himself back on the map. And obviously, if you're going to do it against anyone, it's Zack Sabre Jr. So we'll see what happens with that one. But there's a possibility. But the match that we're going to get excited about, the match that is just unbelievable. I can't believe this is happening. Luke Jacobs against Ishii. I am so ready for that match because Luke Jacobs wrestles like Ishii but just needs that little bit of like that veteran kind of guidance at the minute, doesn't it? Because he's like a Beyblade. He'll just spin off into, into craziness and just do killer move after killer move after killer move. And what he needs to do is have a look at the way Ishii does it, the way Ishii sells, the way he lets things breathe. And that match, I, I'm so excited to see that match live because I genuinely think that could be absolutely brilliant. They've not made Oku against Seven official. Um, I assume that's going to happen. Um, they've not had anything yet for subculture. I assume they're going to be on the show. Um, so there's still a few moving pieces to go. But, I mean, that show, based on those four matches alone, is looking great. Absolutely great. Um, so let's talk about ticket sales then. And as we've said, it's a funny one, these these sorts of ticket sales. And again, this comes from Rob Reed um, of uh, Voices of Wrestling, uh, co-creator of Wrestling 101, which I'm not going to go on about again because how great it is because it is great. Um, at the minute, they've sold 2,354 with 4,596 left remaining. Again, this is he's, he's very clear to, to say that this is kind of based on literally counting things and you know it could be but that's that's as accurate as we're going to be able to get um i I don't know i I still think it's a funny one i mean i think really the target now is looking at 300 i think for uh, 300 3000 um you know another 300 tickets which is probably more than doable um it'd be really interesting to see what that feels like in the arena and how they get it um I'm wondering if they'd have been better off just not selling anything in retrospect on that upper bowl. 
um even though i'm there that's where i want to sit um, I wonder if I used to work at a theatre. I used to work at the Opera House in Manchester, and if a show didn't sell enough tickets, they'd move everyone down from the gallery into the more expensive seats. So I wonder if they're going to do that just to get it looking good on camera. Because if there's anything about um, anything we've learned about RevPro, it's that they want to get things looking really good on camera. Uh, anyway, that's our copper box update. Do we have to do WWE? What do you reckon? Should we sack it off? Because there was money in the bank, wasn't there? I'll play the music and I'll have a think about it. We're not going to do it. It was rubbish. I didn't like it at all. It opened like a rubbish episode of The Apprentice. Um, there was a men's money in the bank match where the concept stinks. The concept's absolutely awful. It was the, you know, there was a, a, a deep one good spot from Jake Paul, of all people, but nobody does the, the, um, yow anymore for Nakamura. It all felt like fake nostalgia rubbish with the LWO. Um, LA Knight, I think he's crap. And I know that's a controversial opinion, but he's like, do you know what LA Knight is? He's like a WWE wrestler that's just been put, that's been designed by committee. He feels like an alien has come down from space, has got a random member of the WWE universe and asked them what a good wrestler does. And they've said, oh, well, he bobbles his head around like um, Stone Cold. He has a catchphrase and he sounds a bit like The Rock. And they put that into a computer and they biogenetically engineered LA Knight for him to walk out and shout, yeah, every two seconds. I don't like it. Um, loads of contrived ladder match spots I thought were rubbish. Um, then it was um, Baszler and Rousey against Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan. That match was rubbish. Baszler turned on her at the end, but wore the Eye of Horus on her tights. She came out dressed like one of Horus's children. So we know she's going to turn on her if you're not an idiot and you keep up with the Black Library. Uh, then we had Riddle versus Gunther, which I thought was good. Then we had Mysterio versus Rhodes that I thought was rubbish and I have nothing to say about it. Then we had Cena coming out and just did the most saccharine, sucky-up promo I've ever heard in my life, saying how the, he's going to fight for us to bring... Um, Wrestlemania for Wembley and everyone cheered and I'm going to tell you something now and I don't know if this has been said before because I skipped most reviews of WWE but it's not John Cena you've got to thank if Wrestlemania comes to the UK it's Tony Khan because he's proved people want to go and see wrestling on that level in the UK so if we do get Wrestlemania thank Tony Khan you WWE idiots then there was a women's uh, ladder match I thought uh, Bailey um, was okay in it. I thought Becky Lynch was brilliant in it. And I thought everyone else was rubbish. Then there was Rollins against Balor, which was rubbish. Um, it had loads of fake laughs and people do. Oh my god! Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing the Seth Rollins song, standing in an arena doing the Seth Rollins song along with him? There was a eighty thousand people doing it. Imagine. It's not a good. It's not a good riff. It's not even like Seven Nation Army, which is, uh, annoys me on a level I can't explain. But I can I understand that it's a good riff and it's an earworm. It's not even catchy. It's not even, just awful, awful stuff. Um, 
Then it was Usos against Roman Reigns. Um, apparently, this was cinema. Do you know when people say that? Do they understand that just because something is in a film doesn't automatically mean that it's good? There are bad films. There are bad films, you know, like they exist. And if this is cinema, how would this be packaged and released? Would it get a massive opening Oppenheimer-esque weekend where you can't get a seat in an IMAX for love nor money? Or would it go straight to Netflix? Would it be free on YouTube? It's rubbish. The faces they make, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, the faces that they make. It's like the worst, worst soap opera. It's like, if if I was to compare, if I was to put it on a level of a TV show, I would say it's about as good as the tribe from Channel 5. That was better. Channel 5's The Tribe was better than this. Cole, Michael Cole, is saying that Roman Reigns has been a great champion one minute and the next minute calling him a dastardly heel. He said he's got a celestial quality that's transcendent. He's a heel, he cheats to win. They don't they don't even understand the story themselves. They're just saying stuff and everyone's Do you know what that's what I can't stand is the way they say Universe oh, Honest to God Rubbish They're talking about how that if the Usos win this match, the power of Roman Reigns is in jeopardy. How? How? Explain that to me. Get on the Discord. Voicesofwrestling.com slash Discord. Find the Eurograps Express room and tell me how that makes sense. You've got, what's he called, Paul Eamon saying, they want to be head of table, the head of the table. Think about your sons. What are you on about? How is this good? There is nothing good about this. And people love it. Her ratings are up. Don't come at me with the ratings thing, by the way. Don't come at me with shareholder prices. If your favourite thing about wrestling is how many people watch it, you better have all of the biggest selling records in your collection. Your favourite films better be the highest. Your favourite film better be Titanic. There was loads of super kicks in this. Ironically. Yeah, so that's my review of Money in the Bank. Rubbish. You know, I've really missed doing this, and I, my dog hasn't missed me doing this because he's gone to bed in a sulk. Um, as I said before, don't forget, get in the Discord. There's Eurograps Express room in there. Um, we talk about cheese more than anything. I've had a lovely rule today. It was garlic and herb encrusted, and it was it was gorgeous, and I had it on uh, sea salt and black pepper crackers, um, and I, I would strongly recommend. I'm into my soft cheeses these days. I don't know if I'm getting old. I'm, I'm waiting for some dentures. 
But yeah, that's what I did. Anyway, I'm definitely going to be back in two weeks. I'm going to keep the momentum going because, like I said, I really enjoyed this. Um, get in the Discord. Um, you can follow me on Twitter if you want at EuroGrapCXP and have a go at me on there, but I don't really check it. Have a lovely fortnight, and I'll see you soon. My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines, and we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi every week on the Voice of Wrestling Network.